extraordinary faith in a big God. We find a story found in 1 Kings chapter 17 in verse 1. You see, Elijah was a hero, not because of his wardrobe or because of his success or because of his family. He was a hero because he said yes to God. He was a yes person. But you know, this week I was thinking about yes people. And you know something? Yes people actually don't have very good reputations in our culture. You know, if you're a husband or a wife and you're a yes person, well, you're looked down upon. If you are a student or an employer and you're a yes person, you're considered a little bit of a brown nose. But you know what? In God's kingdom, everything is turned upside down. The values are all different. And when you say yes to God, actually you become a hero. Elijah was a hero. Last week we left Elijah sitting at a brook getting fed by ravens. Pretty amazing, really. Everybody else was going through a drought. Everyone else was wondering where their drink and their food would come. But not Elijah. He sat there knowing a raven would come and knowing that that brook was flowing and that he'd receive drink and food. He was feeling pretty good until, until the brook started dwindling. It began to dry up. I bet Elijah was confused as he thought through the events over the past months. He knew that the drought would continue, but he somehow didn't think that the drought was going to affect him. After all, it was his message when he went to King Ahab when he said, hey, you are quite rebellious against the Almighty God. And because you are so rebellious, God is going to shut up the skies. There's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any dew. There's going to be nothing until I say so. Well, God did stop the rain because of Ahab's sin. Ahab had no time at all. In spite of being king of Israel, he had no time at all for God. His agenda was the most important. His ways were the most important. He didn't submit to God. He didn't submit to God's authority. He flaunted his. Ahab married Jezebel a Phoenician princess, and even allowed her to worship the Baals and bring the Baals to the country of Israel. Baal worship was rampant all over. Well, it's not surprising that the living God, Israel's true king, began to flex his muscles. God decides to take Baal head on. He shuts down this Phoenician god of rain and closes up the skies. Ahab's sin had affected everyone in the land, almost everyone. Like I said, except for Elijah. But now things felt different. At first he felt good, and God had been faithful, but now, 
Turn with me in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting at verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. You know, God could have kept that brook flowing, but he didn't. You know, I think we've all been bewildered with God at times. I think every one of us can wonder, and how come sometimes everything feels so good? The train just keeps rolling along. And then all of a sudden there's that car accident. Or all of a sudden there's that phone call that you didn't want. Or all of a sudden the brook starts drying up. You watch your supplies begin to dwindle. And you wonder if God is around. And actually, if obedience or following him really matters. Well, then Elijah heard from the Lord. And he got pretty excited, I think. Starting in verse 8, the scripture says this. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Seraphath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. I think Elijah has a little bit of a mixed feeling right now. Although he's been waiting, although he's wondering if God is around, although hoping that God would speak to him, when God does, he gets mixed feelings. His words didn't seem to make sense. I'm not so sure he said this to God, but I think he said this to God, or, or thought this about God. God, what, what did you say? Hey, I, I'm excited. You're going to provide for me a different way. You've always done this. You are my king. And you want me to go where? Well, Zarephath is 90 miles away. Again, don't get in the car and drive. It's walking in a time of a drought. Supplies are limited. What is God thinking? And then, Zarephath was also in the heart of Baalam the home of Jezebel. Hey, wait a minute, God. I, I thought we were kind of in the protection mode. I, I thought, God, that, that, you know, you were supposed to make life comfortable for me and easy for me. You want me to travel where and how far and go to a foreign land and then go to a widow? Hey, God, <laughs> No offense, but you and I both know widows, uh, you know, they, they hardly make it. They gravel. They, they aren't people of means. And then, really, on top of all this, you're going to provide or, or have my provision come through a foreigner. God, you got to know that, you know, I'm a Jew. I'm a God-fearer. We don't hang out a whole lot with these Gentile-type people. But Elijah was a yes man, and Elijah went to Seraphath. Let's read what happened after that, starting at verse 10 in chapter 17. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, um, Bring me a bite of bread, too. 
But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house, and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just getting, I, I mean, at this moment, I, I am sure Elijah is reeling a little bit, okay? At this moment, I'm gathering just a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said. Make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and oil left in your container until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did, as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You know, before Elijah arrives, God instructs this widow to feed him. Now, some of us that don't get this and just read through this might just pass over this. But this had to be weird. This lady had no idea who Jehovah was. All of her gods in the land were idols. They weren't alive. They didn't communicate. They didn't talk. None of those things. God doesn't tell us how he instructed this widow but probably a dream. Imagine that. Going to bed one evening and hearing from the Almighty. I'm not sure how you respond. I'm not sure how you respond to dreams right now, but getting a dream that's totally out of your comfort zone or your realm of experience, hearing from a God that you have no idea about. He says, hey, by the way, I'm going to send a prophet. I'd like you to feed him. I don't know if it's that short and sweet, but, but let's say it was. She wakes up the next day. Her son and she are talking, maybe her neighbor. Hey, what happened? You know, I had this weird dream about feeding a prophet of the Lord God Jehovah. Don't even know who this is. Don't know what's going on. <laughs> Must have been the pizza. Must have been something. And she just went on, but maybe, maybe there is something to it. But she didn't have a lot. And there was a drought. And every day, the supplies got less and less and less. Oh, she's wondering. She's thinking, well, maybe that was just something. And it gets to the last day. Last day, there's just enough flour and oil for one more meal. There is no hope. Nobody else has any other food. So realistically, she's going to make it, feed her son and herself, and die. So she goes out and gathers some sticks so she can make a fire. And Elijah shows up. Whoa. It had to be a little bit weird. The last day... She perhaps every time she gathered wood or every time there was a knock on a door wondered if this prophet would come. But the last day, 
Elijah doesn't actually even know according to the scriptures who to ask for either. I don't know if widows dressed a certain way. I don't know like widows had like a W and I, I don't know their haircut was different. But Elijah knew. He came in. He listened to God and he saw a widow. He says, hey, why not? Hey, can I have a drink? Which actually was a big deal because remember the whole drought thing. And she's saying, oh, okay, I, get, I can get a drink. And then Elijah says, hey, why are you getting me a drink? Would you mind bringing me back some bread? And whoa, the claws come out. I mean, this is like mama bear all of a sudden, all right? And I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Elijah trusts God, but, ooh, okay, maybe there's a wrong woman here, you know? Like, wouldn't you, like, give me a nice one, you know? Anything like that. And what happened, even as as this whole scenario, they were kind of wondering. She was wondering, he was wondering. They had both heard from God. One had a great history with God. The other one didn't know God very well at all. Well, anyway, she clearly shares with Elijah that she doesn't like the situation. She doesn't like God's plan. And then Elijah encourages the widow. That's cool. That's what God's people do, right? Hey, don't be afraid. In fact, do exactly what you were going to do. Go bake the bread. Go, go. But you know what? When you get it all done, give me the food first. Whoa! <laughs> you know, I don't know how all this transpired. What actually happened? But I know this is that Elijah was doing what God was asking him to do. If you trust God and you say yes, the living God of Israel promises to provide. This was his message to this widow who basically had no hope. The widow never regretted listening. Because as we read, Elijah... The widow and her son always had enough. You know, this is much more than a story with a happy ending. It's a story about an, excuse me, it's a story about an ordinary man who trusted his God, his king. Elijah was a yes man who thrived underneath his king's reign and rule. But if we're honest, we struggle with the God is king thing here in the United States. In fact, when we do understand that God is king and that he is ruler and yet loving and sovereign, we can put all these adjectives there to really listen, obey, and trust him. That seems a little far-fetched. So we bristle because we don't know our king. And because we like being in charge, we like being in control, and I'm just even going to push it one step a little farther. We like being our own king. Let me highlight the fact that even though Elijah knew God and experienced the king's power and presence in his life, Israel did not. Israel also struggled with the king thing. 
God had always been king from the beginning of time and his desire to establish a kingdom where people can thrive underneath his reign and his rule. Israel's first king was God. But Israel complained. And they traded their king for an earthly king so they could be like every nation. In 1 Samuel 8, it records the dialogue. It's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. Well, God actually gave Israel their way, which for the most part of their history actually meant disaster. Let me also remind you that life went quite well for the people if their king loved the king. So really, what makes this ordinary guy so special? What makes Elijah special? Well, the first thing is, is that Elijah knew the king. He had a relationship with the king. The king wasn't just some sovereign sitting on a throne. The king was involved in his life. You know, we don't know much about Elijah before we're introduced to him in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, which we covered last week. But in this verse, we find out that Elijah did know that his God was alive, that he was living, that he was involved, very different than the Baals. He, we also know that Elijah saw himself as a servant, that he understood this king thing, and he understood that God was sovereign, and that he knew best and loved him with all of his heart. And he also know that he heard God's voice. This all points to a relationship with the living God. And it starts there, not only with Elijah, but with each one of us. If the ordinary ever moves beyond existing, it's going to be because we have a relationship with the Almighty King. Secondly, not only did Elijah know the king, but he could trust and obey the king. He could trust and obey the king. You know, trusting is hard when circumstances and requests don't make sense. Trusting and obeying is really easy when it doesn't cost you or I anything. You see, when the king said... Go talk to Ahab. That was a little weird. I'm sure he didn't know Ahab at the time. I'm sure he didn't want to give God's message to Ahab at a time. Ahab, by the way, you're not submitting to the king. You're your own king. You're your own authority. And as a result, even though there's been somewhat of a drought already, there's not going to be any rain for a long time, and it's all because of you. Now, again, if you understand the king thing, the king just had a blink, and Elijah's head would come off. But actually, Elijah's king was more important than the king. And he listened. And then he said, go hide at a brook. That didn't make sense. And I'm sure, again, that was exciting as the days went by because of God's faithfulness. But again, if the king says it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. And then travel to Zarephath. Well, none of that made sense. 
But he listened and did it. And to ask a widow for her last meal, are you crazy? That is the dumbest plan I've ever heard. But the king said it, and so he did it. You know, the king's ways and thoughts are often not our ways or thoughts. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 8 says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. You know, it's so hard to trust when it just doesn't feel right. You know, about eight years ago, um, Sharon and I went on a trip out west. And we had the opportunity to go with uh, my daughter, Kara, and, and her husband, Scott. And one of the things that we did is that we went into Wyoming and as we went into Wyoming, we wanted to visit uh, a young man who was a director of a ministry, rather new ministry, that did some Christian adventure camping. And his name was Ryan Conley. So we went in, and Ryan had all these ideas, and hadn't seen him for a while, and he wanted me to experience, or us to experience, all that Wyoming has. All right? I'm not sure what my Wyoming has. Uh, but there's a lot of mountains and a lot of woods and a lot of rivers. And one of the things he said is, hey, you really need to go rappelling. That sounded great to us. What do you do? Well, you go, you know, thrill seeker. You, you rope yourself up and you basically get dropped off a mountain. Well, okay. Um, not sure I understand all this yet, okay. I'm, I'm used to a little bit different things, but we walked for a couple hours. We're walking up, up, up. Get that? Up, up, up. Okay. We finally get to a place, and we climb over this, and, and Ryan puts all the gear on us. And he pulls out this rope, something like this. And, and this rope is like nothing compared to his rope. His rope looked like about 37 miles long. Okay, he tosses the rope, you know, over the, over the edge. We're all hooked up. At that time, Sharon says, I'll take pictures, okay? <laughs> so Sharon went to a place to take pictures. And if we could lower the light just, just a little bit. I, I know this picture doesn't actually do justice. Um, but the bottom line is this, is that we had an opportunity to go down this rock wall. Now, I looked over the rock wall, but I could not even see the bottom of the rock wall. So honestly, I thought the rock wall was maybe 20 miles long. All right. It was probably 200 feet. But the bottom line was this. I said, okay, we're all ready, and so on. Well, what do we do? And Ryan just said this. You got to listen to me. I said, I'm all about that. Okay. I, I'm going to listen. And then he puts this rope through this little, I mean, we are talking little clip pounded into the rock wall and does this and then basically says, who goes first? Kara goes, I'll go first. Whoa, okay, that's a good girl. Go for it. <laughs> Kara gets hooked up and she starts going off the wall. Honestly, um, I am looking at that rope. I'm looking at Ryan. I'm looking at him. He's looking down. He can see everything. And I'm going, this is absolutely the craziest thing in the whole world. Why would I be doing this? I didn't hear any thumps. Kara made it. Scott's next, because I'm older and I have more authority. <laughs> I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen Scott. 
Yeah, we're going to have the lights up a little more now. Or, but Scott's a lot larger than I am, okay? Bigger, stronger. He was shaking. And I'm, I'm just not even kidding you. It's like <laughs> epileptic fit. No, it wasn't that bad. But honestly, he's hooked up. He goes over. But now I have to do this. After all, you know, I'm the road warrior. I don't know what I am. But the truth is this. As I looked at all these things, nothing made sense to me. That little clip made no sense to me. What Ryan said to me made no sense to me. Even jumping over that stupid rock wall didn't make any sense. And I'm telling you, it was invigorating. It was at about 10 feet before I was done. The, the first 190 feet, I am shaking. In fact, I am wondering if pampers come in my size, <laughs> you know, to be quite honest. And we're going back and forth, and eventually we get down there, and then we say, how was that? Oh, that was the greatest thing in the whole world. You want to do it again? No. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? It was something to put all your faith into somebody, into a rope, into a gizmo, into a voice in order to experience something I had never experienced before. But you know what? The scriptures actually are filled with directors that go counterculture also. It does not make sense. The rope doesn't look thick enough. The little whatever is not thick enough. And for sure, Ryan, you are crazy. Things like forgive, be kind and tender-hearted one to another. Okay, but you don't understand God. Let, let me just put this in perspective. Forgive and be kind and tender-hearted that person. Actually, I would put him in category called jerk. I don't think I can do that. You know, be generous. God says, I have given you so much in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 so that you might give away more. Oh, hey, wait a minute. Nearing a little bit of retirement age, I, I need to have at least this much. And, and you know what? My kids are going to school. And you know what? This is happening. This is not making sense. The rope is not thick enough. And really, your voice is quivering right now. You want me to do what, God? Don't complain about anything in Philippians chapter 2. By the way, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. Okay, But, but we look at this and say, well, don't complain about it. Well, that means don't complain about anything that's legitimate. You know. Um, but you know what, God, th this situation I don't like, I I'm, I'm going to crap. And we can go on. Work at living at peace with everyone. Hebrews 12. Oh. You know, each time Elijah said yes to the king, even when it didn't make sense, Elijah's faith in the king grew, and he became more bold and more confident in God. So when the widow was wavering, Elijah could say, don't be afraid, because he already knew the God that he trusted, and his God was going to be faithful. He trusted God. 
Elijah knew God's voice. You know, I think today it's very difficult for every one of us to take time to listen to God. It is so difficult in our culture. You know, you used to think life was busy when you're seven years old. And then you get to be 17. And then you're overwhelmed. And then you hit 27. And you just think that life just doesn't stop. I think one of the greatest sins in our culture is busyness. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be busy. But what I am saying is that we have substituted listening to God's voice. Thinking that maybe a shot in the arm on a Sunday morning. Or a quick devotion here or there. Or maybe a verse a day keeps the devil away. And we're missing out. Because although we may be very educated and very knowledgeable. And be very disciplined. And maybe even open up the word every day. We have a tendency to close it quite quickly. And to move on because we have a schedule. And I know Elijah sat at a brook. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there wasn't a whole lot to do all day long. But I do know this, is that he had the opportunity to hear God in an amazing way. It's impossible. It is impossible to know God if you don't take time to listen to him. Elijah also knew God's track record. Taking time to reflect on God's faithfulness. Some people journal, and you can read how God is faithful. Actually, this is a gigantic journal. As God talks about all the way through history how faithful he was to a people. It's quite exciting to read that. But you will see that over and over again, we talk about sharing your story. Sharing your story in your huddles or in your small groups. Sharing your stories with your families. Sharing God's story. In Deuteronomy, way back in the beginning of our Older Testament, Moses shared in Deuteronomy 6, he talked about God all the time. Share your stories. Talk about his faithfulness. Remind your kids over and over and over again how big God is, how wonderful God is, how terrific God is, how God never fails. Because there's going to be times when God says, jump over the rock wall. And you're going to need to trust him. This last week, uh, my wife received some hard news. Uh, she had a cousin of hers real uh, um, die on sudden, or, or die unexpected. And so she's dealing with a little bit, is talking with some of her cousins and talking with her aunt. And, and Tuesday came uh, along, and she had an opportunity actually to go visit her aunt. And so she drove to her aunt's house. It, it was quite unique. And she texted her aunt. She called her aunt. She knocked on her aunt's door. She rang her aunt's doorbell. Nothing. Okay. So Sharon gets back into the car, and actually she just wanted to meet with her, just pray with her, just give her a hug and encourage her before she would take off for the visitation and the funeral. All of a sudden, 
Well, what happened is that Sharon was a little confused, I'm, I'm assuming, of where she was in our city. So she's trying to figure out her GPS, and she's looking down there, and, and all of a sudden the shades open. And Auntie Rosie sticks her head out. She comes right out, and, and she sees Sharon, and it was so cool. She didn't get any of those messages or vibes or heard anything. I'm not sure why. All she was doing was opening up the drapes in the morning, which she normally does every single day, and saw a car there. You know what? Sharon came home, and again, over dinner, we're talking about our day and so on, and she shared with me how she was able to minister, to pray, to encourage Auntie Rosie. And it wasn't because of anything she did. It was because God intervened at the right time. And it was an exciting story. And we rejoiced. And we thank God for his faithfulness right there. Something very, very small. Something some people would call a coincidence. Last week, we even introduced hashtag God is moving. And for those, again, that don't understand what a hashtag is and what to do with that, there are many here that do and are able to share God's stories over Facebook or over Twitter. And we encourage you to tell stories. You see, Elijah was encouraged. Or excuse me, Elijah encouraged the widow to take the next step of faith to say yes to obey. He knew what life living underneath God's reign and rule was. He was ahead of her in the journey. He did not want her to live in fear. But it was the widow's choice. Remember, the widow had to say yes. Let me say this, is that we will never regret obeying the king. We will always regret being the king. You know, knowing the king, helping you trust the king. As you trust the king, your faith grows, and as your faith grows, you experience God. I'd be remiss if I didn't end with one last warning, mostly because it comes from Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. But let me just give you the quick background. In Luke chapter 4, it's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And he's just starting off being able to share with people who he is and what, about the, king, and, and what the kingdom of God looks like. And very early in his ministry life, he goes back to Nazareth, which, which was his hometown. And he walks into Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, and it's on the Sabbath day, and he walks up front, unrolls the scroll, and reads from Isaiah 61, and says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor is here. What basically what Jesus was saying is he was announcing that the Messiah, the king, is here. His kingdom is going to begin. It's going to start. It's going to look different. Basically, he said, today, this is fulfilled. It was something everybody should have got up and started clapping. It's something they've been waiting for for a long time. They've been under oppression. They've not understood what it means to live underneath the king's rule and reign. Let me share with you how the people 
at Nazareth responded. Verse 22 in chapter 4. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. Well, say, Rick, that's kind of nice. No, it isn't. It's not something that people have been anticipating and hoping for and that Jesus had come to change lives. And they were kind of casual. Now, here's the deal. Jesus was not well-received in Nazareth, nor did anyone experience his power or authority in Nazareth. You wonder why? It's the lack of faith. And this is what Jesus does, which again, you're wondering, how does this work in? Jesus brings in this story in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus uses the widow to explain why the people of Nazareth will miss out. Because God works in people of faith, in people who know him, in people who trust him. And realistically, the people of Nazareth didn't. They missed it. They were the ones who should have known better. They were the ones who should have understood. And God says, you know what? I'm going outside the camp to a foreign city to a foreign lady, to someone who's going to trust me, even with a little bit of faith, and I'm going to work there. You're going to see my power, my authority come through in an amazing way with a little bit of faith. You know, imagine our campus living under God's rule and rain. A campus who spends time with God, listens and obeys God, who says yes to everything that God reveals to them so that we might boldly share his power and his presence and his truth and his love to everyone we meet in this world. To be quite honest, we could not contain the people if they understood God's message of grace and how wonderful it would be to submit to the king. I'd like you to take a few moments right now. I'd like the lights actually to come down just a little bit. And I'd like you to talk and listen to God. And I'd like you to ask God, where do I need to grow? Is it the knowing part? Has your life been so busy? Or is it the trusting part? Or maybe it's both. It takes just a few minutes before I close in prayer.
God, you are a good king. And we are sad that we are too busy at times to know you or to even listen to you. Lord, you have given us so much. You have proved yourself over and over and over again. And yet we stubbornly at times want to be king. We're sorry, Lord. Would you give us the courage to say yes? Would you change our world because of our faith in you? Thank you. In your name, amen. You guys stand and let's respond. I'll remove Rick's jumping rope here.